Well, good morning. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me this morning to Genesis chapter 20. Um, this morning we're continuing our Genesis study. Last week we took a break from, from this study, but we're back at it this morning looking at our patriarchs and promises. We have been looking at our first patriarch of the faith, Abraham. And as we look at Abraham, we see a man chosen by God, justified by faith in God, and given to us as an example of what a life of faith lived out can look like. The key to that last statement is can, what it can look like when you get it right. But what we know about Abraham is Abraham didn't always get it right, did he? How many of you get it right every time? Raise your hand. None of us do, right? Man, all of us still make mistakes on a daily basis. Abraham was a man that battled between the two natures that are within every single believer in this room. We all start with one nature, Adam's. We read in Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Every single person was born with a disease called sin. We were born sinners, and do you know what sinners do? Sin. That's exactly right. It's exactly what we do. Think about your kids. How many of you attempted to raise your kids not to lie? to make good decisions, to honor you, and to know God. You taught them to be respectful, loving, and obedient. But how many of you in this room um, succeeded completely with that? None of us did, right? Not a single one of us taught our kids to lie or disrespect us, but every one of them has, and every one of them did. Why is this? Because they were born into a world of sin with a compulsion to sin. Jesus said in Mark chapter 7, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all of these Evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That right there is a picture of the old self, that old sin nature that is present within every single one of us in this room. But we also have to remember, at the moment of our salvation, we received a new nature, didn't we? We received a divine nature. Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. The new nature... Man, we received, comes from Christ and came from Christ and was implanted in all of us at the moment of our salvation. At the moment of our salvation, we received the Holy Spirit, didn't we? And the Holy Spirit is our advocate. The Holy Spirit is our comforter, our source of power, our helper. He is the convictor of sin. He is our guide, our intercessor, our teacher. Before Christ, we were lost and dead to sin. 
After Christ, though, we were saved and delivered from the curse of sin, but unfortunately, every single one of us in this room still sin, don't we? All of us still make mistakes. We all still do things that we do not want to do. Notice these words that Paul wrote in Romans chapter 7. He, in beginning of verse 14, he says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. And dropping down to verse 18, we read, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And then dropping down to verse 24, Paul says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Even as believers, our old nature is alive and well and active. Sometimes our old nature actually seems to be more active post-Christ than it did before Christ. How many of you can relate to that? I've shared with you before, I probably have done greater sins post-salvation than I ever did before I came to faith in Jesus Christ. What can we do about this? Well, we can seek daily to be transformed into the image of Christ. We can seek daily to grow closer to the Lord as we study and commune with Him. We can seek daily to choose which nature we will allow to reign supreme in our lives. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul wrote, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with his practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge of the image of its creator. You and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, must make a commitment every single day that we're going to yield to the new nature. We're going to fight against that old nature. Man, I want us to remember this about Abraham. Abraham was a saved man, but he was still a man that tended to allow his flesh to drive his decisions. As we meet up with Abraham this morning, we find a man who is 100 years old. For the past 25 years, he has been living under God's promises. You would think at the age of 100, he would have learned by then to trust God completely for everything. But unfortunately, even as a 100-year-old man, he had not. Let's look together at our passage of Scripture. Our first point this morning is Abraham the deceiver. <clears throat> Beginning in verse 1, we read, From there Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev, and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, She is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. You, you ever hear the saying, what, with age comes wisdom? Well, for some of you in this room, that may be true. But for our friend Abraham, that was not the case. 
You know, this past Wednesday, I drove down to the big city of Pearsall, Texas. How many of you know where Pearsall, Texas is? Okay. If you know where Pearsall, Texas is, you accidentally found it uh, on the map. You ran into it or you actually had a reason for being there. Um, the, I've, I've heard um, Terry and Debbie Russell speak of Pearsall for many years, but I had no clue where it was. Um, this past Wednesday, I went down there to attend the services for Terry's mom. She went home to be with the Lord last Friday at the age of 98. The pastor of that service did an amazing job honoring Mrs. Russell's life. He honored her well and memorialized her well. But what he said that really got me thinking was at the beginning of the graveside service. We all gathered around um, for that service, and he said that Mrs. Russell was a 90-year-old saint. And, and from hearing everything that Terry and Debbie has said about her, I was like, absolutely, I believe that. Um, and he went on to tell stories about, about her life and all the good that she did there at the church and within the community. But then he went on to say that she was a sinner and tempted just like every single one of us are. And I thought whenever he said that, not, not her. Man, there's no way that she was a sinner and gave in to temptation. But then I thought about this morning's message. It does not matter how old we are or how young we are or how close to God we are. We we are all equally, we all equally struggle with those two natures that dwell within us. We all should want to allow the Spirit of God to drive our decisions But sometimes we allow our flesh to reign supreme. And when that happens, more often than not, we find ourselves in trouble, don't we? Think about Abraham. Man, he's 100 years old when he decided to uproot his family from Hebron and go to the region of the Negev. Why did he go there? Scripture doesn't tell us. It could very well be that he no longer wanted to look down upon where Sodom and Gomorrah were, where, 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 where Lot and his family used to live. He didn't want to remember that city any longer. He didn't want to remember what happened to his sister-in-law whenever she was turned into a, a, a pile of salt. It could very well be that he uprooted his family because the, the territory of the Negev could have been more fertile. And it would have allowed him to, um, to, to live more comfortably in that area. Scripture doesn't tell us why he left. But what we do know is that Abraham, he would be at it again. As they come into this region, he repeat, repeats the very same thing he did back in chapter 12. He tells Sarah to tell the king and the people of the land that she is his sister. Now, like last time, a couple, several weeks ago, we know that that was not a complete lie. It was really more of a half lie because they were half brother and half sister, but they were also husband and wife. Who in the world would offer up their wife to another man? Just blows my mind whenever I read stories like this in God's Word. Now, I think all of us know this, but age does not mean that we are immune from sin. One pastor said, sin does not have an expiration date. Abraham was probably the richest man in the world. He certainly was the most blessed man on the planet. The only person that God chose to start a people group with. If anyone should have known better, it was Abraham. But yet he does this foolish thing. And because of it, people are going to suffer. Notice our second point. We see here God the protector. 
Beginning of verse 3, we read, But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her, so he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent man? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart, in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return this man's wife, for, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. Can you imagine the God of the universe appearing to you in a dream and saying, you are a dead man or you are a dead woman? That would probably get all of our attention, wouldn't it? The reason he was going to be a dead man was because he was potentially going to commit adultery with another man's wife. God makes it clear to the king and to us that he takes sin seriously. Abraham is in the wrong in this passage, but God also warns the king what would come to him if he were to defile Sarah. The king was quick to defend his actions, wasn't he? He was quick to to say, hey, I haven't touched her. Man, out of the integrity of my heart, I haven't touched her. I didn't do anything wrong here. I didn't know that, 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 that Sarah was Abraham's wife. He didn't know that. And, and, and so he throws out this word integrity to the Lord. He attempts to be the innocent person within this party. But notice again what the Lord said. Then God said to him in the dream, Yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart, and it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Clearly, the king wanted to take Sarah and make her his bride or he would never have called for her to begin with. But God protected the king, and God protected Sarah, and God protected Abraham as well. How many times do you think the Lord has protected you from sinning? How many times do you think the Lord has restrained you from doing something really, really, really dumb? Probably too many to count, right? I know for me, that's probably the case. Abimelech may have been a man of integrity or wanted to come across to God as being a man of integrity, but ultimately it was God who kept him from sinning against Sarah. You know what integrity does or the pursuit of being a person of integrity? It leads us to put up boundaries or safeguards in place to keep us from sinning. If there's a certain place that you go to, that you find yourself always sinning at, then shouldn't you avoid going to that place to begin with? You may battle looking at things online that may cause you to sin. How do you protect yourself against that? You put up filters, you put up safeguards that keep you from returning to that place of a sin. As a, of sin. You know, I remember um, several years ago when Mike Pence was... Um, um, nominated to be the vice president. Um, and, and I remember the media just lambasting him um, because 
he, he made the statement that he does not eat alone with another woman who is not his wife. When I heard that, I thought, man, that's a person of integrity right there. But when the media heard that, they just pounced on him. Folks, there's going to be critics when we try to be people of integrity. But what does a person of integrity do? A person of integrity allows the divine nature within us to reign supreme instead of the, 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 the first nature, the Adam nature within us. People of integrity put up safeguards that would prevent them from sinning. The psalmist declared, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Our flesh is why we sin. But it should never be a reason for justifying our sin. All of us struggle with the old sin nature. But we have a divine nature that dwells in us that is stronger than our old nature, right? Abraham, next we see here, Abraham confront, or Abimelech confronts Abraham. Beginning in verse 8, we read, So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all of his servants and told them all these things. And the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have, you sinned, how have, we sinned, how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God calls me to wonder from my father's house, I said to her, this is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, he is my brother. You know, there are times in our lives that we need an Abimelech to confront us. And there are times that we need to be an Abimelech to someone else and confront them for their sinfulness. Here, Abraham is confronted by the king. And the king wants some answers, doesn't he? Let's look at some ways that sinners often ways that, that, that we respond sometimes as sinners. First, we blame others. Abraham claimed it was because of Abimelech's lack of faith in God that caused him to do what he did. But ultimately, it was Abraham's fear that led him to respond the way he did. His fear and his lack of faith led him to do what he did. How many times has God protected Abraham? As we've studied, too many to count, right? How many times has God led Abraham through times of trials and suffering? Multiple. How many times has God showed up and made himself known to Abraham? Multiple times, either through dreams or, or in person. Yet when he should have trusted in God, he allowed his flesh to dictate his reaction. Next, notice what sinners do. They justify their sin. It was not a lie, just a little fuzzy one. Sarah was his half-sister. Here's a question. Is a half-truth a truth or a lie? How many times have you told a half-truth? 
I know I have. Not a complete lie, just partly lie. I think when we deceive another, that is a sin regardless of how we try to justify it. Abraham went so far also as to accuse God. In verse 13 we read, and when God caused me to wonder. You know, of all the excuses to me, this is the worst. God did not cause Abraham to wonder. God rescued Abraham. Abraham was on a collision course with hell. He came from a place of idolatry. And God called him from that place of idolatry and revealed himself to him. And not only did he reveal himself to him, but God made this huge promise to him. He told him, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I will curse. All the families of the earth shall be blessed by you. To me, this is just me speaking, but Abraham was a weasel for blaming God, wasn't he? God had been nothing but good to him. But because he allowed his flesh to win out, he blames God for his actions. He blames God for his sin. God is never the reason for our sins. In fact, he rescued us from our sin and he wants to, to protect us from continuing to sin. In 1 John 1, 9 we read, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Instead of making excuses, let's own our sin and seek God's forgiveness and cleansing. Ultimately, in the end, we know that Abraham would get it right again, right? Notice our final point. We see here God the Redeemer. In verses 14 through 18, we read, Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen, oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham, then returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you. And before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. So Abraham sinned. Abraham made a mistake. Abimelech was about to sin, but God kept him from sinning. In the end, let's look at what would come from this. Abraham would become richer as a result of his sin. It always leaves me scratching my head when the richer get richer through deception. I think all of us have witnessed that. All of us have seen that to be true. Ultimately, though, Abraham would turn to the Lord in prayer. He made right the wrong that he had done. And because Abraham returned to the Lord and because Abraham prayed, we know that God opened up the wombs um, of, of Abraham's, Abimelech's wife as well as the female servant so that they could have children again. You know, I love Abraham. Man, I do not love all of the things he did, but I love how similar his life is to ours. He made mistakes. All of us make mistakes. He battled the flesh. 
and often gave in to the flesh, as all of us have done. But in the end, every time Abraham messed up, he would return to the Lord, wouldn't he? Every time we mess up, may it be said of us that we too return to the Lord. As we close this morning, let's all remember, when there is no fear of God, it doesn't bother us to sin repeatedly. When there is no fear of God, it doesn't bother us when others suffer for our sins. When there is no fear of God, it doesn't bother us when our witness is compromised. When there is no fear of God, it doesn't bother us to justify our sinful actions. When there is no fear of God, it doesn't bother us to profit from our sins. But notice this, when there is a fear of God, there will be a return to God and a confession of our wrongdoing. In the end, Abraham got it right. And in the end, God would use Abraham just as he will use every single one of us. When you mess up, and you will mess up, when I mess up, and I will mess up, when we give in to that old nature, let us be quick to return to the Lord. Let us be quick to turn to the Lord and ask him to forgive us of our sins and to ask him to reign supreme in our lives. And let's also remember this scripture, let the word of Christ dwell in you. And you know what happens when the word of Christ dwells in us? We're not going to allow the ways of the world to reign supreme in us. You may be here this morning and you, like me, battle between these two natures. Man, you, like me, find yourself so often giving in to that old nature instead of allowing the divine nature to reign supreme in your life. Let's use this time, our time of invitation, as a time for us to, to seek the Lord. Let's use this as an opportunity for us to turn to the Lord and ask Him to, to just reign supreme in our lives to ask him to, to, to use us on a daily basis to impact this world instead of giving in to the ways of this world. You may be here this morning, you don't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. If you were to die today, you don't know where you spend eternity. If that's you, I'm going to be standing here at the front. I would love to share with you more how you can enter into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning. Father, again, Lord, just um, recognizing that, that we are sinners, recognizing that every single one of us on a daily basis tend to give in to that fleshly nature, that old nature, instead of allowing the new nature, the divine nature to reign supreme in us. Father, the very battle that we battle is the very one that Abraham battled. It's the very battle that Paul himself struggled with. None of us are immune to it because of this flesh that we find ourselves bound to. But Father, we know that just as you were victorious, we too can be victorious. Father, I pray that every single day we become more like you and every single day we become less like the world. Father, I pray that if there's someone here this morning that does not have a relationship with you, that today will be the day of their salvation. Just move now. 
during this time of invitation. For us in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.